In the Christmas story, there are all kinds of characters. And one of the characters that shows up again and again are the angels or the angel. God loves to work through angels. No, wrong kind of angel. Okay, um, try this again. God loves to work through angels. No. Uh, one more time. No, wrong one. God loves to work through angels. No. Okay. One more time, Wayne. There it is. Okay. So it's fascinating how captivated we are by the supernatural. And I, we just walked through, for those of you who didn't know, we just walked through angels in TV through the decades. All right. And probably we could have gone back before Michael Landon, but uh, some would say he was an angel in Little House in the Prairie long before the TV show that he was in. But God does work through angels and particularly when it comes to people conceiving. So who are the stars of, uh, of having a baby in the Christmas story? Joseph and Mary. But long before then, God showed up in other places, other people in the scriptures where uh, an angel appears and then people are able to conceive. So if we go 1,800 years before Jesus, there's a guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah. They were both really old, and they have an encounter with an angel, and then they conceive. And a little bit after that, a couple hundred years after that, there is a guy named Manoah and his wife. And they had an experience with an angel. And after they had that experience with the angel, they had their son. What was their son's name? Don't say Jesus. A little bit of Bible trivia this morning. His name was Samson. And you can read about him in Judges 13. And now not quite angelic, but another couple that are wanting to conceive, and they can't, but they have an encounter with the priest in the temple, and through that, God intervenes. Their names were Elkanah and Hannah, and they had a son, and his name was Samuel. So the story of Joseph and Mary is not necessarily unique in encountering the angel and in conceiving, but the manner of the conception is certainly very unique. So Joseph and Mary uh, both have an encounter with an angel, and then through that, God intervenes so that they have a baby. But in this case, it's not the two of them coming together. It's the power of the Holy Spirit um, working as only God can do in ways that we don't fully know, so that Mary conceives and they have uh, this child. I'm going to read for a moment the story of Joseph and Mary from Matthew, but I want to read the first verse where he begins to talk about the birth of Jesus. And Matthew writes this in Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. And the word that Matthew uses for born... And the word that Matthew uses in the very beginning of the chapter, the very first verse of his record of Jesus, he writes this. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus. Or some versions, your Bible might say, this is the genealogy of Jesus. And when Matthew actually tells about the story of Jesus, and he talks about Jesus being born, and he talks about the record of Jesus' ancestors, the word for record and the word for birth or born is the very same word that Matthew uses. And it's a word that we get our, where we talk about genealogies. It's a word that means Genesis, 
the beginning of Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' family line. And I think what Matthew is doing is he's taking the, the birth narrative of Jesus and tying that into the story of Israel, the story of God working throughout all of these generations of people to bring us to the point of meeting Jesus. And little things like that I find fascinating when the same word is used for two very different things. And throughout the genealogy of Jesus, as you read through in Matthew chapter 1, it's one of those places in Scripture where you look at it and you just realize it's a whole bunch of names that you can't pronounce. And so you just kind of skip over it. And that's totally okay. But if you want and you read through and you investigate some of the people in that list, what you'll find is scandal. All kinds of crazy things going on in the lineage of Jesus. Not everybody is pearly white and wrapped up with ribbons as these wonderful people who produced the Messiah. Some of them uh, were prostitutes. Some of them committed adultery. Um, and there are other um, interesting characters who are not looked upon very favorably in that list. So Matthew presents that to us and says, even though these things happened in the past for Jesus' family, God still is able to work through all of that. And then here we are introduced to Jesus in verse 18. So I want to read these few verses for you, beginning at verse 18. And it's a story that many of you are familiar with. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, and he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she'll have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she'll give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. In your notes, there's a section in there of another story of a husband being asked to do something um, incredible. Uh, with a wife that was unfaithful, and his name was Hosea. And there's a whole book in the Old Testament that tells the story of Hosea being asked to marry a prostitute as a way of showing Israel how they were unfaithful to God, and yet God was still loving to them. So I encourage you to read through that, and you can learn a little bit about some of those parallels. But this story about Joseph and Mary is fascinating. And when it comes to the Christmas story and all the characters that are there, we, we get into the angels, and we get into Mary, and we get into the baby Jesus. But the one person that often gets overlooked, and I don't think I've preached about him before, is this guy, Joseph. You know, he's just kind of there. If he wasn't in the nativity scene on your parents' side table, you'd recognize and notice right away that he wasn't there. But you don't really notice him when he is there, because he's often overlooked. 
And yet today, I'd like to just spend a bit of time looking at the love story of Joseph and Mary and the things that Joseph does, which are a great encouragement for us. They are pledged to be married. So in that culture, you got to realize we are in a different culture, different times. So marriage in our culture looks radically different than it does in a Middle Eastern culture 2,000 years ago. And essentially, often a young boy and a girl were, um, it was negotiated between parents when they were really young that they would be married together. Then when they came of age, there was a formal ceremony that said these two are now engaged and usually the, the, the wedding would take place about a year after that. So with the story of Joseph and Mary, they're both of age and they're in that one year waiting period. And what we discover in this story, what you're so familiar with, is at some point, Mary becomes pregnant. And at some point, Joseph finds out. And Joseph is smart enough to realize he's not the father. And he's left with, with a decision. What am I going to do? We don't know how Joseph found out. Did he and Mary get together and have a talk? Or did Mary's parents, you know, kind of have to go to Joseph's parents and say, listen, uh, we got to tell you something. Or was it the town gossip and Joseph found out and maybe Joseph never had a conversation with Mary. We just don't know. We can read into it. We can assume. Um, we know that Mary became pregnant and that Joseph wasn't the father. And then he's left with this decision. And so Matthew, as he's telling this beautiful love story, he writes this in verse 19. Joseph uh, was a righteous man and he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph was a righteous guy. Righteous is this kind of funny word that we use it all the time, especially in church, but we're never quite sure what does it actually mean. And it can mean good, pure, holy, but the same word in the original language can also mean just. So Joseph was a guy who was holy, but he was also a guy who was just. And he could have demanded that Mary be brought before the, the, the elders of the community and she would be publicly humiliated and disgraced. Um, in, in the Old Testament law, the Hebrew Bible, um, there's actually scriptures in there that say the punishment for this would be stoning. Um, we're not sure that that actually happened at that time, but certainly what we see is that Joseph has no intention of throwing Mary under the bus. And so instead of this huge scandal, because he's not only a holy person, but he's also a just person, he just says, no, nah, I'll just divorce her quietly. We'll break the engagement and she can deal with things as they are. But you got to wonder what's going on in his head. You know, put yourself in his shoes. The person that you are committed to marrying is pregnant and you weren't involved in it. How would that make you feel? I 
And so his response isn't necessarily inappropriate. I think we have a hard time connecting with this in our culture today because in our culture today, uh, it, I mean, uh, marriage and remarriage uh, happens um, drastically. Uh, young people are um, choosing to uh, cohabitate together often um, with, with multiple people. And culturally in the West, we've created this normalization of uh, you do what you want, when you want, as long as you're not hurting anybody and it feels good, it must be okay. But what you don't hear is of all the brokenness and uh, the destroyed relationships and the heartache. And that's not to say that that isn't happening in, in marriages either. But culturally, I would just say this is so foreign to us. We, we're almost like, I think people are reading this and going, what's the big deal? And somehow we're... we're uh, we're not living into, I think, what is best for us as a society. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, as a pastor, you're like, yeah, I just need to say this stuff. I think, I think we're way off on this when we continually ignore um, the damage that comes from, uh, particularly among young people that are cohabiting and just deciding, I know what's best for me and I don't need anybody else telling me what to do. So, don't let that distract from what I'm trying to tell you today, but sometimes I think when we read this story, culturally it's difficult for us to step into this because we're so far removed from this. But Joseph is left with a really difficult scenario. What am I going to do? And so he wants to divorce her. But then, something extraordinary happens, and that's the very next verse. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph has a dream. There's another uh, angel appearance in this story. And if you go to Luke, so the, the stories of Jesus are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark doesn't really talk about the birth narrative, neither does John. But Matthew and Luke do. So Matthew has the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream. You can go to Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, and you can read about the angel appearing to Mary. Here's the difference. And in some ways, it's like, oh, that's not fair. Mary is awake and fully cognizant, and this angel shows up and scares a life out of her because the angel has to say, don't be afraid. And she has this experience with the angel, an encounter with an angel of God. And the angel says, you're going to become pregnant. And Mary has to decide whether she's going to accept that or not. She says, yes. Here's the thing with Joseph. Joseph, uh, as he was considering divorcing her, had an experience with an angel, and the Lord appeared to him. But where did God appear to him? In the dream. Have you ever had a weird dream? And you wake up and you try to remember it and you share it to somebody else that you know. You're like, I had the weirdest dream last night. And here's Joseph thinking about divorcing Mary. And he has an experience with an angel, but it's only in a dream. Mary gets the real thing. Joseph has this crazy dream. And like Scrooge, he's got to decide whether it's a bad piece of beef or cheese or something. And he's got to, he's got to wrestle with, did that, 
did that really happen? Did, did I actually just, was God there? Or was I like, ah, what do I do with this? Where do I go with this? Mary gets the real thing. Joseph gets the angel in a dream. And he's still thinking about divorcing her quietly. He has the dream. I'm sure he has time to consider it. Obviously, he's convinced by it somehow. And he decides to go through with things. But as I read this story, I can't help but wonder if there were times in Joseph's life where he really wished he hadn't had that dream. Because of everything that would happen by saying yes to keeping Mary as his wife. So he has the dream, and then Matthew tells us this in these next verses. When he woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife, but he didn't have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So after the dream, he's left with the tough decisions. What do I do? Do I go along with what I think God is asking me to do? Do I trust the dream? Do I trust the experience? Or do I just go with what I was originally intending? And, and obviously Matthew fills us in on this as the narrator, that he, that he decides, no, God's in this somehow, and he decides to keep Mary as his wife. But by doing that, Joseph is inviting all of the shame and the guilt that Mary would bear as someone who became pregnant, and obviously people knew about this in town, even though they hadn't come together for the marriage. So, let's play a little game here. There's a young couple at church, and we're all holy, righteous people, and nobody ever does anything wrong in, in our little community here, and there's a young couple, and they're engaged, and about six months before the actual wedding day, she starts to show. So what do you automatically assume? Yeah, you're like, I wasn't expecting that mental image here today at church, Paul. <laughs> right, that's where your mind goes. Obviously, they couldn't keep their hands off each other. And that happens with young people in the passion of the moment. And so Joseph is, a, is expecting, anticipating, by keeping Mary as his wife, people are going to make assumptions. They are going to put two and two together. Either they're going to assume that Joseph did it, or maybe word gets out of Joseph saying, no, 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 this wasn't me. And if, if that's the case, then they're going to assume that Mary has been with somebody else, and why in the world would Joseph in his right mind take her as a wife? Because we don't live in an honor-shame culture. But if you do a little bit of reading about honor-shame cultures, you realize how much dishonor this brings on the family name. And for Joseph to keep her as his wife is to take all of that shame that she's bearing and put it on himself and put it on his family. And tongues wag. And the gossip mill grinds away. And the shame and the dishonor is carried not only by Mary, but also by Joseph, and also by his family. And yet, interestingly enough, Matthew says, Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph named him. Exactly what he was asked to name him. 
Mary has an encounter with the angel, and the angel says, name him Jesus. So Joseph assumes Mary as his wife, takes Mary as his wife. Mary receives Joseph as her husband. And then the story continues. So Joseph names him Jesus. And then he begins to do all the things that a father would do. So what would a father do in that culture? Well, Jesus grew up, and as you read about the, the, the adult Jesus, Jesus quotes from the scriptures all the time. Guess who taught Jesus the scriptures? His dad, because the boys were educated to read and write. Joseph took Jesus as his son and raised him teaching him the scriptures. Joseph took Jesus to synagogue. Joseph took Jesus to the temple. Joseph would have taught Jesus the family trade of carpentry or brick building, or um, sometimes we think of, of Jesus in a little shop building a table and stuff like his dad, but actually the wording and, and the scene there could also be um, Joseph the construction worker brought his son to work and taught him the skills of the trade gives you a different image of Jesus as a construction worker than Jesus the table maker, builder, carpenter, doesn't it? Joseph is assuming all of these things on himself and he's leaning into what God has asked him to do. Then you get to uh, Luke chapter 2, near the end of Luke chapter 2, and Joseph and Mary are taking Jesus to the temple. And Jesus is 12, significant age for a Jewish boy's life as they transition from being a boy to a man. And so for 12 years, Joseph has stayed married to Mary and he's kept Jesus as his son. And they've been traveling to the temple annually for the, for the pilgrimages. And then at 12 years of age, Joseph's on the scene again with Mary. And then after that, we never hear of Joseph again. Mary continues on, Jesus continues on. Joseph, we're just left wondering what happened. What happened to him? Did he get tired of what was going on? Did he die? We're just not sure. Joseph does something amazing. Before we ever get to Jesus showing us the love of God, we have the example of his mother and his adopted father and this amazing love story that takes place. Joseph has some hard decisions to make of what he's willing to do to live in obedience to what God was asking of him, what he's willing to do to love Mary as his wife. And part of that included being willing to receive the shame and the ridicule and the gossip. I haven't even mentioned the fact that when they're threatened, Joseph takes his family and they escape to Egypt and he protects them. When they come back, he wants to protect them and they end up in Nazareth in a little community. And all these things are Joseph doing what, what a husband would do. And it's this amazing love story before we ever get to what Jesus shows us of how much God loves us.
I mentioned earlier about Hosea and Gomer and the kind of love that you'll read about that God is asking Hosea to give Gomer. And I can't help but see some of the parallels between what Hosea was asked to do and what Joseph is asked to do. Except Gomer was, was actually somebody that was um, just in, intentionally unfaithful. Mary wasn't. But people didn't know that. And they assumed that. And I think what we see in the story of Joseph and Mary is this amazing love story at the beginning of Jesus' life. And Joseph is modeling for us the kind of love that God has for his people. It's the kind of love that is willing to receive somebody who will bring shame on you for your association with them. It's the kind of love that lives in solidarity with people. It's the kind of love that receives people who are often seen as undeserving. It's the kind of love that protects. It's the kind of love that forgives. It's the kind of love that comes alongside and says, we're in this together. Come what may. It's a love that sacrifices, that puts somebody else above yourself. It's the kind of love that Jesus would exemplify in perfection for all of us as he hung on the cross. And I can't help but think that part of what allowed Jesus to go down that journey is what he witnessed in his mother and his father. And none of this is to take away from the shame and the pain that Mary herself bore. So we're not denying that, just we've talked about that in other seasons and other stories. Today, I just wanted us to look at the kind of love that Joseph models for us. A love that bears the shame of others a love that personifies for us how God acts to us and for us. But I also think it's a kind of love that's an invitation. This love story is an invitation to you and to me to see loving others like these little kids were just talking about here this morning, to see the ability to love others the way that Joseph loved Mary as we celebrate this Advent season, week two, and the love God has for us. Let's pray. Thank you for for the people like Joseph who's forgotten, who isn't highlighted, who lived love in amazing ways, never gets applauded for it. And God, it's a good reminder for us, I think, of how love works. So much of the way we love people goes unseen, unnoticed, except by you. And so may we take heart in the way Joseph loved Mary, this beautiful, wonderful woman strong and tough as nails. And Joseph receives her as his wife. When maybe at one point everything in him said, don't do it. But he had this experience with you. And you reminded him and showed him that kind of love. 
that you have for us. And he just lived that out for Mary. And may that be a wonderful encouragement to us today. This is how you love us. May we receive that well. And then reciprocate that same kind of love to you in the way that we love others. Even being willing to journey with them through the shame and the guilt and the challenges of life. It's nothing you haven't done for us. And for that, we say thank you. Amen.